0: Hello and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Hey, so we're going to jump into our scripture reading today. This one is one you guys are familiar with. It's going to be Luke 10, 25 through 37, like the sixth week in a row, man. But in verse 25, it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, And just how would you define neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when, he was, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him... The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handled the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Our second scripture reading from today comes from 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. And it says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks. I gave you one extra to kind of make it different, you know. Um, Hi. It's really good to uh, be with you. Uh, I I missed you last week, but it was really nice to have a few days off. And uh, Daniel and I took all of our kids to New York City. And so I keep saying that my soul is rested and my body is not, still has not recovered um, from the walking, the so much walking. And I don't think Daniel and the boys' stomachs have recovered from the hot dogs, which were countless. Like at one point I tried to count and then I just felt bad as a human. Counting how how many nitrates I put into my children's body, but uh, they're cheap. So um, I have one announcement before we uh, j- jump in. Um, oh wait, first off, by the way, if you're wondering whose pipes those are right here, this is, if you remember back to the first week of this series, I told you I believe in neighboring and I believe that neighboring works because I've been neighbored by someone and that is uh, Tracy Halter who's singing, um, who, yeah, who is awesome. Yes. And who, um, made me believe in this stuff because this is what she's done uh, with our streets. So, um, okay, here's my announcement. So, um, COVID is beyond confusing. I'm just going to be real with you. Like I I went to school for interior design and I don't even use it so I don't understand I'm so I'm it's so overwhelming and so confusing uh, but here's to the best of my knowledge some things that I understand one we're opening windows because I read an article by a pulmonologist that talked about the risk factor going down substantially just by cracking a window which is wild but apparently you know it's a thing um, but what I also understand is that it seems like maybe the next two weeks there's going to be a bit of a spike. Um, we already have one. I don't know if you read in the paper this week, we have a mobile morgue at our hospital. And um, because of that, we, we've, been, we've literally spent six weeks talking about being a good neighbor. We really believe in this stuff. So here's what we're going to do. For two weeks, as uh, it, it seems like it might spike in September and go down, so just for two weeks, this is not a permanent thing, um, we're going to move services outdoors next Sunday and the next Sunday. So 19th 26th. Um, we'll be up on the hill by the gym where we were last year if you joined us for any of those. You can bring camping chairs. We'll set up chairs. Um, it might sound like a nightmare to you to come to church outside. It's not. It's beautiful. You, it has the best view of the mountains in Alcoa. Like I, one week I just didn't want to have church and I just want to be like stare there and go home (laughs) because that's all you need to know so um, it's beautiful I think the weather is in a good spot and so we're just we love doing church outdoors we once we did it uh, last year we said we should do this from time to time so for two weeks uh, next week and the next week we're going to do church outdoors here's why you notice that um, it's a little more sparse the last couple of weeks we have quite a few people in our congregation that um, are in the very very high risk category and are really only doing things outdoors and so um, at the beginning Of the summer, we shut down our online uh, church capacity a little too soon. Who knew this was coming? Again, interior design. Um, But we shut it down. And so, in order to love and serve the people uh, that are our family that aren't able to come in here, we just want to love and serve them. And so, we're going to move outside so they can at least come for a couple weeks as things try to level off. And we're just going to pray that they level off. Um, So, does that make sense? On the same page? We good? Okay. Um, If it rains, we're going to come back inside. Uh, so I don't, we, we, There was no run plan other than we'll be back in here. We will do a shortened, stripped-down uh, service uh, to be in here as quickly as possible and get out. Uh, kids ministry will still happen. Um, it will move to the gym or the courtyard so that kids uh, get to be in very ventilated areas, too, for the next two weeks. Okay, that's, that's all. Let me pray, and then let's jump in. Uh, so, Father... Uh, Thank you for this room, and thank you for these people. I think I say this every week, but you, in my experience, you are in the business of showing up here, and so we just ask you to do that. We, we believe that you're here. Uh, will you wake us up to your presence here in this room and in this place? Um, I pray that in the next few minutes you would, um, as we're like trying to tie a bow on a giant concept uh, of neighboring, I um, ask that you would... Uh, weave your way into the crevices of our hearts um, as we talk about two kind of big things of empathy and boundaries and what that looks like as we love people well um, and then I just I just pray that you will remind us how you see us um, i don't I don't know how to do any of this if we don't believe that you are with us and for us and so we just ask you um, to remind us, remind us of uh, your stance toward us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so I've been saving this story uh, for the last week. I've actually told it here before, but to still align for my dad, this is a really good story, so don't stop me if you've heard it before. Um, But uh, I I love houses with windows. It's very important to me. I currently have a house with an enormous window that actually gives me a lot of anxiety because I also have kids that like to throw balls. And in my mind, I'm like, this is the world's most expensive window that is just going to get shattered one day. Like, it's just... You know, one of those things you know is going to happen, but um, our last house had um, kind of like this, had big windows that went just down the edges of the house, and um, it was great because I could um, do things in the house and let my kids play in an area where when they were little, and I could see them outside of the window, and so one day, I'm folding laundry in my bedroom. Uh, the kids are playing in our driveway, which we shared uh, with our neighbor, Mr. Dave, and um, they're playing, I'm folding laundry, I'm kind of watching them uh, folding laundry, and at some point, Mr. Dave, I see Mr. Dave's truck back in, he pulls in, and um, so I go out to say hi, and you know, uh, make sure Camel and Graham are good, and, and he's just gotten back from a hunting trip, and um, and he has gotten like this, he's, he's like so excited, Mr. Dave was not a man of, of a lot of happy expressions, and his face is like lit up, he's so happy, And he says, I just got like the biggest deer ever. He told me how many points it is. Uh, Since I last told the story, I have not learned anything about the point system of deers. Deer, deer. Uh, But I don't even know how to conjugate the word. So um, (laughs) it was a lot, whatever a lot is. 10, is 10 impossible? Okay, it's possible. Okay, so maybe it was like 10. Um, so he's fired up. He has this gigantic deer. Uh, the boys kind of see it in the truck. You know, it, it's a big deal. Um, and so I kind of go back to my laundry. He's messing around in his truck, getting things situated. And then a few minutes later, something catches uh, my eye, like a different movement from him kind of. Um, and I look out my window to see um, Mr. Dave, who is a grown man, but just one man. Um, and he is, is, I don't know the word other than heaving. This deer out of his truck by himself, and the deer is bigger than him. I think. I mean, it's like so. He's like doing this heaving motion of of this deer. I don't know how it normally works when you get a deer. I feel like maybe maybe with friends you you try to get the like. I've never really thought through the process of what you do after you get it. Um, But I watched it. I mean, I'm just like cannot look away, glued like eyes glued, um, because it just looks like he's wrestling this deer a dead deer, but but a deer. Like he's just wrestling this thing. And um and so I keep watching, <laughs> I keep watching, and he finally like shimmies the thing off the the, the bed and then it's like boom <laughs> on the ground. And then I feel like some insides Came outside, and then I felt like um, my insides were gonna come outside. And I mean, it was disgusting. Um, and I'm still watching um, uh, creepily through my window. I do understand how this sounds. I'm just like, you know, spying through the window as he's, I could have helped, but also I couldn't. Um, and so, uh, he, he starts to drag, he grabs the deer under its armpits, as you would a person, and he's dragging it down the driveway. It's a gravel driveway, so it's like, you know, and um, at one point he drops it, it's, it's awful. I'm just watching, like just staring and watching, never, ever, ever looking away. There's like a trail of blood to the sh- I'm not trying to grocery, I'm just trying to... Put you in my shoes. Um, And then he gets to the shed and then he puts the deer on what I guess is like a hook. I don't, it was awful. I'm I'm not a butcher. Like, I don't know how this stuff works. And he he gets it up there and it's so gross and so fascinating and so disgusting. And I watch every single minute of it through my blinds, like just very creepily. And then I kind of panic because I realized for, you know, 15 minutes, I haven't checked on my kids. I have no clue where they are. And they're like four. I don't know. And so I look over and I spot them. And it's like their eyes have never been wider. They, too, have seen the entire thing. And the only way I know how to describe Camel and Graham in this moment is they were not okay. <laughs> um, they had a lot of questions for me, um, of which I did not have answers for. Um, everything from the internal mechanics of a deer to the purpose of life. I mean, it was just like all the questions, uh, lots of them. Um, it's my favorite neighboring story. Um, uh, we, we've been talking the last few weeks about neighboring. You have the cards on your chair that we've, we've put out there, I think, every single week. Uh, this is just your friendly reminder. Maybe you can grab the card, see if you can fill out any more names than you could uh, before when we started this series. Um, but, but we've been talking about how to follow what Jesus called the greatest commandment, to love your God with your whole self and to love your neighbor as that self. Uh, And then we've talked about how um, through neighboring we have the potential to change our streets and our neighborhoods and our communities and our cities. That big changes are possible uh, by small changes inside us. Um, but here is one truth about neighboring that I discovered that day, and you some of you have discovered, I've been hearing your neighboring stories. Um, and it's this. neighboring can be quite messy, uh, sometimes literally in my case, um, but but really, really messy. It's one thing uh, to be like a casual, unintentional like wave at your neighbor neighbor, right? It's one thing to wave at people who seem really normal, who have mowed lawns, who appear to pay their bills, who don't let their kids run out into cars. Uh, but then when you get to know them, uh, like me and the deer, you often see more than you expected uh, to see. You you literally get to see into the mess, into the difficult, into the uh, tricky parts of their lives and their families and their marriages and their habits and their practices and their depression and all of these things, the the truth is neighboring can be really, really messy. And here's why. Because people are messy. They're really, really messy. And and so I want to talk today about two different ideas uh, that uh, when it comes to neighboring and the messy parts of neighboring. So uh, the first thing I want to talk about is um, when, when it comes to seeing the messy in the people around us, and that is empathy. Um, in our text uh, for the last few weeks uh, that uh, some of you may already be sick of, but in our text for the last few weeks, Jesus uh, calls the good Samaritan the neighbor. And he calls him the neighbor, the, the one who, who showed mercy. That's, that's Jesus' sentence. Who's the neighbor? It's the one who showed mercy, the one who saw trouble and entered into the trouble, the one with empathy. Uh, there's, I think, something for us to dive into as church people here. So to to set up the point on empathy, I I, um, saw a video a few years ago that I tried to write a summary of, and I just can't do it better than the video. So if it's okay with you, I want to show you um, a video that it's less than three minutes. It's really quick. um, That describes empathy better than I could ever do it. It's uh, by Brene Brown who I call her St. Bernay a lot. Um, she is a Jesus follower, but uh, she is a scientist. She is reporting empathy as she is a social scientist. She's a shame researcher. I always um, ask for hands on who that, that that was their dream job growing up. like. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to research shame. You know, uh, this is Brene Brown. She did. She wanted to research shame. She researches shame. And I love um, when the science uh, and the social sciences and the behavioral sciences match up to what we read in the Bible. It happens all the time if you do research around this. And so uh, here we'll just show the video. This is what Brene Brown has to say about empathy. Whew. it's good, huh? I love it. You want a sandwich? <laughs> Sometimes a sandwich really does help. Um, uh, so uh, what Brene Brown says in this is that empathy fuels connection. I love that line. Empathy fuels connection. That's what we see uh, with the Good Samaritan. His empathy fueled neighboring. His empathy fueled his connection. It, it, it has the same potential in us and through us. Uh, the truth is, uh, your neighbors, and again, I'm using the word neighbors geographically and neighbors, uh, as we defined a couple of weeks ago, as anyone who needs us, uh, they are messy. You have, you have neighbors with political opinions that make you very uncomfortable. I'll pause for an amen if you want um, you have neighbors with addictions, you have neighbors with abuse, you have neighbors who are products of addiction and abuse, uh, you have neighbors with sexual practices and preferences and orientations that you uh, maybe don't have or are confused by or don't know what you think about or what, you have neighbors that eat different than you do and train their kids and their dogs differently than you do. Your neighbors celebrate things that you don't know how to celebrate and they have problems that you don't know how to fix and as things uh, Things become tricky and more uncomfortable and, for lack of a better word, messy in your relationship with your neighbors. I think as Jesus' people, um, to me, I think part of the story of the Good Samaritan is Jesus asking us to stop standing on the top of the hole offering sympathy sandwiches and to learn how to jump into the hole of empathy. Uh, I think that there have been... Enough pointers and sandwiches offered from way up on high via the church. Right? Rarely, I love what she says rarely can a response make something better. It's a connection. A connection, that's our fuel. That's our power. When we are as Jesus uh, people and as neighbors able to find ourselves in the hole with our neighbors and friends in a healthy way through the Holy Spirit, then empathy becomes our fuel. Our fuel for the four qualities that she talks about, our our fuel to offer uh, to to be able to accept the perspective of someone else, our fuel to stay out of judgment. Uh, that, I, I need that one. Our fuel to recognize the emotions of other people and our, our fuel to learn how to communicate that. If we want to love our neighbors as Jesus told us to, empathy, I think, is the fuel. It's our starting point. Here's the problem, though. Empathy is very hard, <laughs> It's, it's hard to learn. I think all of us ca- carry with us some measure of sympathy, uh, but climbing into the hole with someone we know well or barely know, that that's that's a lot. That's a tough thing uh, for us to learn, uh, I think for a couple of reasons. One, because uh, people and their problems are really scary, and they're intimidating and time-consuming and messy and confusing, Um And then a second reason that I think might actually be the bigger of the two. I think one of the reasons empathy becomes difficult to us is that I think for a lot of us, we don't see ourselves as having anything to offer uh, when we're in the hole. Uh, that, That one of the crucial components of the story of the Good Samaritan is that the Good Samaritan offered what he could and what he had to the man that had been left for dead on the side of the road. But that took knowing what he had, and it took believing his own value and identity to the point that he broke culture and tradition in order to move into mercy and to move into empathy. And I think for a lot of us, we stay out of the hole because maybe we're in such deep holes of our own that it's hard to imagine that we would have anything uh, to offer anyone else that's in the hole. Um, I want to read a quote from a vineyard pastor named Alan Scott that uh, Chad is borderline obsessed with. Um, And I think it speaks into this so well. This is what he says. He says, our communities, our neighborhoods, our places of work, our communities are drawn to brokenness more than excellence. We try to impress them with our brilliance, but our brokenness and imperfection are our greatest gifts. Focus on sharing your life before you sort it out. You do not need to have it all together before you give it all away. Indeed, you won't find the life you are looking for until you start to share the life you actually have. You won't find the life that you're looking for until you start to share the life that you actually have. Empathy, it fuels connection, but I think it is identity that empowers our empathy. When we're able to see who we are as we actually are, that's what empowers us. Our neighbors, they are drawn in uh, not by our perfection. They are loved by our empathy. They are drawn into our brokenness. I, I, I love the second verse we read today. We loved you so much that we shared with you not just the good news of Jesus, but our lives as well. Uh, this is the Lindsay translation of this verse. We loved you so much that in lieu of our brilliance and excellence, we offered you our actual lives, our brokenness, our imperfection, long before we sorted it all out so that you might see the brilliance and excellence of Jesus. We don't have to be brilliant and excellent because he is. He already is. I need an amen here. I'm preaching really good on this. Okay um what is what is neighboring it is using empathy to fuel the sharing of our lives how they actually are holes and all with our neighbors in their holes because we believe in the good news and the hope of Jesus okay point number two uh for today uh on the heels Of empathy. Uh, The second thing that I want to talk about very briefly is that when it comes to the messy of neighboring, uh, this is a practice that we uh, need. Uh, So once we find ourselves in the holes with people, uh, our our neighbors, geographic or wider, um, we need another practice, and that is boundaries. Um, We're going to talk about boundaries in a few more weeks, but I can't talk about neighboring without talking about boundaries. So we're going to do a little mini. Uh, lesson. Um, I've said a lot over the last couple of weeks that I do not understand the great commandment of Jesus to be a commandment to leave a bound, lead a boundaryless life. Uh, love your neighbors as yourself does not mean to live a boundaryless uh, life. So uh, one of the risks of empathy, one of the risks of helping a man half dead on the side of the road or, or of crawling into the hole uh, with other people, one of the risks is uh, not knowing how to get out of the hole once you've gotten in. Anyone else? Um, holes are not when you've been in the hole with someone that's not like a party you don't want to leave I went to a birthday party last night that I never wanted to end that is not being in a hole with someone you're like how do I get out of here Uh, sometimes they feel like a trap and and it's hard to find uh, your way out so how do we love with boundaries or how do we empathize uh, with boundaries um My counselor, when she talks about boundaries, she talks about it like a garden. And I remember her one day, uh, I've talked about her before, I call her the velvet brick because she is so sweet and so sugary. And then at some point you're like, did you just throw a brick at me? Like, where did that come from? And this was one. she looked at me in this sweet voice and she said, Lindsay, part of the reason that you're so dang exhausted is because you have this great garden full of vegetables, but you have no fence and no gate and anyone can just come take whatever they want whenever they want. Which was a brick. Uh, She says, my counselor, that a healthy differentiated life with boundaries is like a garden with a fence around it and a gate. And that we're the ones who control the gate. We're the ones who open and close the gate. Here's the thing. The gate should open sometimes. Following Jesus means that the gate should open and people should have access to us. But also... The gate should close sometimes. It should absolutely close sometimes. And knowing when to do that is very, very, very tricky. Um, I want to uh, quote someone else again. It's, it's from the book that we've used as a reference for this series called The Art of Neighboring by Jay Pathick and Dave Runyon. Um, they have something super brilliant to say. Honestly, it feels like sandpaper on my bare skin. Um, but this is what they say. I say, there is a vital difference between responsibility to and responsibility for someone. We are responsible to love, to encourage, to bless, to pray, to help. But we are not responsible for outcomes. We are not responsible for consequences, for emotions, for reactions, for feelings, or for someone else's choices. Here's what they're saying in summary. When it comes to empathy, uh, to neighboring with healthy boundaries, uh, healthy love is being responsible uh, to people. uh, That is healthy, while unhealthy love is being responsible for them. I struggle so much with this. Uh, The difference between the responsibility to and the responsibility for is one of my biggest problems. But it's something that we see in the story of the Good Samaritan. The the Samaritan, he took responsibility to love, to bless, to help the hurting man. He dressed his wounds. He fed him. He took him to a nearby inn for shelter. And then, and I think this is a very important part of the story for us to see, it is crucial. Then he went back to his journey. Right? Right? He goes back to work. He goes back to wherever it was that he was headed in the first place. Uh, we have so many examples of Jesus doing this. Jesus, he did every single thing he needed to do in three years, and we still find him pulling away. In my mind, if someone was like, you have three years to rescue the whole world, he does not get a break. Right? I I don't think I get a break, and I don't have that job. Um, he he we find him pulling away to be alone all the time. Introverts, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you're, you're here again. Jesus recharges. Jesus pulls away from the crowd. That is a good and holy practice. In Luke 5, a big crowd comes to him and they all want to be healed. And Luke tells us, it's, I think the sentence is hilarious. Luke says, He withdrew often to, to, to the wilderness to pray. He doesn't just go to the bathroom. he goes to the woods. Like that is a good and holy practice. Uh, when Peter walks on the water with Jesus, the reason that they're on the water is because a crowd pushed them to the shore, and then Jesus to, to his disciples said, "Go out, Take a break. Go out on the water." Um, he, he, he does Jesus. He was a man of, of deep and perfect empathy. perfect empathy. He was a man who shared not just the kingdom, but his life with everyone. And at the exact same time, he was a man with boundaries. Being a Christian and a Jesus follower does not make you innately responsible for outcomes or consequences or feelings or someone else's choices. I'm saying this for my own self. I'm going to repeat it because I need it. Being a Christian and a Jesus follower does not make you innately responsible for outcomes consequences or feelings or someone else's choices you are responsible to love and you are responsible to bring peace and hope where you are to join God in the renewal of wherever you are but then we leave outcomes to God that's where they belong we leave outcomes up to him Uh, here's the truth again I'm saying this I'm preaching to my own self in this section Um, there's a difference between care and control Control is when we feel responsible for others, while care is when we feel responsible to them. When we start to, and we all do it, when we start to move into fixing, we move into control. When we uh, start to, when we learn how to show empathy, to encourage, to share, uh, to confront, to listen, when we can relate to the person versus the solution, uh, that is care. When we find good and healthy boundaries, that is care. Control uh, leads to exhaustion. And then worse, it leads to manipulation and enabling and unrealistic expectations. And it sucks the life out of us and the people we're trying to help. And it adds, we, 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 we tend to take on all of their fears and their anxieties. And we put them on, all, on top of all of our fears and our anxieties. Whereas care is a belief that if I just share myself, if I climb down into the hole and share my life with you, then I believe that you have enough in you to make it out. Care is empowering. It's empowering to people. It allows me to be a friend or a guide or a helper without the pressure of being the savior or the rescuer. Again, that's Jesus. That's Jesus, those are the job of the Holy Spirit to save and to rescue, right? I, and I, I, I get that it's nuanced. Like sympathy and empathy, they are work and they are nuanced and boundaries. It's nuanced and tricky work, but it is worth the work. It's worth figuring out the nuance. It's worth figuring out how it plays in your own life. So one last thing, and then we'll close up. Uh, I, here's a really practical list. If you're a note taker, for once, you might be able to follow along with notes. Um, here, here, get ready for this. This is a list. I stole it from my counselor, uh, Marla. I need this list tattooed on my forehead. But here's maybe how to help with some of the nuance. Here's a list of things that you are not responsible for, things that are, are not your responsibility. Ready? Other people's words. Other people's actions. Other people's mistakes. Ideas. Beliefs fears, and here's a very big one, the consequences of other people's actions. You are not responsible for. Here is what you are responsible for, right? You are responsible for your words, your behavior, your actions, your mistakes, ideas, consequences, and you are responsible for the consequences of your actions. Got it? Okay, uh, let's take a break here. Feels like kind of an abrupt end to a very long series, doesn't it? But um, I don't know how to do all this without a little bit of quiet and without allowing the Holy Spirit access into uh, this stuff in these places in our life. So I want to make room for the Holy Spirit uh, to talk to us about what this might look like in our life. Um, What does empathy versus sympathy look like for our neighbors, geographic or wider um here's a question where uh, in your life are you offering sympathy sandwiches or walking uh, by the man who was left for dead when Jesus has asked you to jump in the hole and help bandage up some wounds where are you doing that and on the flip side uh, where in your life in our life are we controlling and calling it care Where are we in need of some boundaries? Where are we feeling responsible for when we've been called to be responsible to? Uh, And then final question, where are we afraid to jump in the hole because we're so busted ourselves? Where might the Holy Spirit need to speak some identity and purpose into us? Okay, I'm reading one last quote, and then I just want to pray. We're going to sit quietly. It's a rhythm of ours. Um, Just to not move on too quickly from this moment. So here's a quote, Barbara Brown Taylor, who I adore. She says this. She says, The hardest spiritual work in the world is to love the neighbor as the self. To encounter another human being not as someone you can use, change, fix, help, save, enroll, convince, or control, but simply as someone who can free you from the prison of yourself if you will allow it.